Friends, if you have a Bible now, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're continuing our series uh, called Grace for the Weekend. This morning, we're reading verses 7 to 15 in a very well-known passage. And so if you're able, I invite you to stand with me. Why do we stand? Standing is an act of worship to read and receive God's word and reverence for God and his word. So hear it now, 2 Corinthians 4, I'm reading verses 7 to 15. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated, dear friends, and join me as we ask God's blessing and help upon us in this hour. O Lord, be gracious to us and kind to us by revealing to us your words of life. Holy Spirit, we ask for your help that as you attend now the preaching of your word, we would hear your voice clearly be instructed in the ways we need to be instructed, encouraged in the ways we need encouragement, and corrected in the ways we need correction. Do this, Lord, because uh, you desire for your people uh, not only to hear you, but to know you through hearing you. So I pray ultimately, God, that we would hear the voice of our God and we would respond with faith, with joy, and with gratitude. Bless now this word, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. About three years ago, I got a gym membership and began learning how to work out and lift weights uh, pretty much for the first time in my life. And so naturally, as a beginner, a novice, I started where everyone starts off, and that's with just the bar. I mean, that's where you begin when you uh, are very weak. <laughs> and so I kept going. I kept at it. I progressed Week after week, slowly started to add weights. And I remember this one specific uh, time where I was squatting. If you know what squatting is, where you put the bar in, on your back and you, and you squat. And uh, the guy I was with um, was far more hyped and excited than I was. And so he decided that it would be good to shout and scream his motivational encouragements at me um, and at the top of his lungs. And so every time I went down, he's like, come on, bro. You got this. Yeah, man. Come on. And, uh, you know, I quickly finished the set, so uh, he would stop. Um, <laughs> and as I put the last, I uh, finished my set and I put the bar back on the rack, that's when he shouted at me, one of the most creative things I've heard. He said, yeah, you got this. You're a pit bull, man. <laughs> now, mind you, the gym was dead quiet. And the only sounds you heard were the clinging and the clanging of the weights. And his voice resonated so loudly across the entire gym. Everybody stopped. They put everything down, middle of set, didn't matter. They stopped and they looked over because they're curious. 
with this amount of hype, how much is this dude lifting? <laughs> well, to my embarrassment, I didn't have impressive 45-pound plates. I had its younger brother, 25-pound <laughs> plate, uh, which if you know how to do the math, um, that means I was squatting uh, a little less than 100 pounds, 95 pounds. Uh, it was embarrassing, but what added to the further embarrassment was I was on one squat rack, and the one next to me had a girl that was half my size squatting twice the amount of weight <laughs> I was. And I was so incredibly embarrassed. I was furious. I was upset. All because my weakness was put on public display for people to see. If you're like me, you hate being seen as weak. You don't want people to know you're weak. You, you do your best to cover those things up. And that weakness will appear and come out in many ways. It can come out through physical strength. It can come out through emotional fortitude. It can come out through spiritual faith. It could even come out through intellectual ability. But those kinds of weaknesses, our inabilities, our limitations, we want to keep those uh, private and we want to make our strengths public. We want people to know us for what's impressive about us and attractive and important and alluring. And as a result of that, we desire as a people, we desire strength and we despise weakness. And yet the Bible makes it clear that the way of Christ is the way of weakness. That's the way of Christ. And the gospel is a series of paradoxes that prove this point, because in the Christian life, the way up is down, and the last are first, and it's the poor who inherit the kingdom of God, and it's death that is gain. And then the Bible says that to be weak is when we are strong. And if you take a look at your life, what are the things that you celebrate? What are the things you take pride in? Are they your weaknesses or are they your strengths? We want strong faith. We even call it strong faith. We want to appear put together and capable and able. We don't want people to know the things in our lives that are falling apart. We don't want people to know we're dependent and needy. We don't want our mess to be known. We don't want our fears and sufferings and worries to be exposed. And yet, if this is you, God has a word for you. God has a word for you this morning because he tells us that his power is not made perfect as a supplement to our strength. His power is made perfect when we are weak. Paul makes his grand promise known in chapter 12 a little bit later when he says in sort of the, the climactic verse of this whole book, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the Lord himself speaking. And right here is one of the great secrets of the Christian life that the discovery of your weakness is not something that you admit only once in your Christian life. You don't only admit that you're weak the moment you come to believe in Jesus and you have to surrender your life. Weakness is a posture that you confess and embrace and live out of because it's through your weakness that God continues to show forth his strength, his power, and his grace in your life. Weakness is not just the way to receive Jesus. Weakness is the way of Jesus. Listen to how Paul talks about it in the Christian life in verses 10 and 11, where he says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What Paul's saying is true of him as an apostle, is true of all of us as Christians. And what he's saying is we carry in our bodies the very death of Jesus. The death of Jesus is the sufferings of Christ, meaning that Christians, we are united to a suffering Savior. So our experience of sufferings 
We experience them because Christ suffers. Now, that may not be what you want to hear because it means on this side of eternity, the path we walk is the path of prospering. The path we're called to live is the way of weakness. And in the kingdom of God, the way of weakness is the way of strength. And we got to get our minds around that sometimes. It's the way of weakness is the way of strength. It's when we're weak, then we are strong. If I were to ask for those in this room, how many of you can do 20 push-ups? Right now, if, you were to, if we were to pull you know, the seats to the side, how many of you could do 20 push-ups? Some of you can. Most of you think you can. Some of you know you can't. 20 push-ups, if you've not worked out, is much harder than you realize. You may try to do 10, uh, tw- 20, and then and you get to 10. And, and you know, I can speak on a personal experience. Right around 10 is when your arms start getting kind of stiff and they start feeling like jello, right? And you start kind of shaking. And you have all the willpower. You have the willpower to do 20. But you have the actual power to do 10. And so you stop. And you go to bed. And the next day you wake up and you're sore all over. Your triceps, your biceps, your upper arm. And if you try to do 20 again, you may be able to do 10, maybe nine actually this time, or maybe 11, and then you do it again. And every single day as you wake up and you feel your soreness, you'll be confronted with your weakness. But what's actually happening as you're experiencing and confronting weakness? You are actually getting stronger. See, that's the dynamic of the Christian life, that in our weakness, there's actually strength being produced in us by God. And that's Paul's point in our passage, that the Christian life isn't about moving beyond your weakness. It's not about covering weaknesses and only putting on strength. The Christian life is not about having fewer limitations, having uh, more blissful moments and less suffering moments. It's not about more easily overcoming hardships and facing less obstacles. The Christian life is about being united to a Savior who suffered a savior who every day he lived his life was actually taking one step closer to death on a cross. Which means for us, the experience of our weaknesses is not a problem that we have to get over. It's a privilege that we receive because it means we're united to Jesus. Because the way of weakness will one day give way to glory and power. Paul says that. He says, we carry around in our bodies the death of Christ, his sufferings, his weaknesses. But then what does he say in verse 14? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's saying all the sufferings and the struggles of this life will one day lead to a door that swings open. And when you walk through, you enter now from weakness into the glorious power of the resurrection that you have with Christ. This is the pattern of the Christian life. And yet until that day of power and glory, we walk the way of weakness. Until that day comes, we live as weak, frail, and finite jars of clay. Meaning our lives are going to be subject to harms and hurts and laments, limitations, aches, and afflictions, suffering and struggles. But it's okay. Because weakness is the way of Christ. Friends, here is the main point of my sermon this morning. You may despise your weakness, but God delights in your weakness to show off his power. Those weak things about you, 
there's insignificant, insufficient things about you that you despise and hate and want to cover up, God delights in. Because it's through those things that he shows forth his power. The focus of our meditation is verse 7. Let's read it again. Paul writes, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, the treasure that Paul is talking about is the gospel. He alluded earlier to it, this treasure in verse 4, when he said that the gospel is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This treasure that we have is this glorious gospel. And why is the gospel a treasure? Because it, it's precious, it's valuable, it's worthy to be prized and cherished. Because by the gospel, Paul said, by the gospel, God lifts the veils from our eyes. He removes the darkness and the blindness so we can finally see. He takes away that which covers our darkened hearts. And by the gospel, he does this so that we would behold the face of Jesus, know him, be forgiven and received into his family. So Paul rightly calls the gospel a treasure. It is. It is a treasure. But here's the ironic thing. God takes this glorious, great gospel treasure, and then he decides to do what with it? Where does he place it? He doesn't place it in equally precious, valuable, and worthy vessels, but he places it in something as common and ordinary as a jar of clay. God chooses to take his saving gospel and house it in the weakness of people like you and me. People who are unimpressive, broken, bruised, fallen, finite. People who walk around with scars and wounds and with shameful pasts and wayward tales. He does not entrust the gospel and this treasure to the strong and the mighty among us. He doesn't give the gospel to the faultless and the perfect, but to jars of clay, like Apostle Paul, like you, and like me. And the point here is so counterintuitive because we would think that God would want to house the treasure in something equally impressive, equally glorious. Think about it like this. Some of you have uh, purchased uh, a diamond ring for somebody. Now, when you think about purchasing a diamond ring, if you're like me and you're in the early stages, all you know is uh, the, the one most important C, right? It's not carrot, it's cost. Uh, that's the only thing you're, carried, you're worried about. But okay, you learn carrot, oh, carrot is a size. And then you do a little more research and you're like, oh, a diamond is far more than a carrot. It has to do with cut, right? And clarity and color. And all of those things add to the preciousness of a diamond. Uh, but even that is not all you must consider. You must consider some other things. And so, you know, some of the young men in here start taking, this might be the first time you start taking sermon notes. Okay, so when you start buying a diamond ring, right? Okay, cut, clarity, right? Color, carrot, cost. Now, it doesn't matter just the size of your diamond because if you're going to go on a ring and it's going to be shown to the world, you need to start worrying about the ring setting, how it's going to be displayed, how it's going to be, shown to the world. And so you think about, okay, am I going to put it, is it going to be on a bezel setting or is it going to be secured with prongs? And if it's with prongs, is it going to be four prongs or six prongs? And are those prongs going to be button prongs or clawed prongs or double prongs? And that will go on a band. Will that band be yellow gold or rose gold or 
white gold or platinum? Will it be thick? Will it be thin? Will it be rounded? Will it be flat? Will it be full pave or half pave or no pave at all? There are so many details you think about because if you have this beautiful, precious diamond that you're going to display to the world, you also want to have everything else around it be equally impressive. If the gospel is more beautiful and precious than a beautiful diamond, then wouldn't it only be right and fitting to entrust this gospel treasure in a vessel that's equally worthy? One commentator says, wouldn't it make more sense for God to put the treasure not in a jar of clay, but in an ornate, exquisitely crafted Gretchen urn? Wouldn't it be more appropriate for God to put the treasure in a beautiful bronze vessel or a delicate goblet with gold inlays? Wouldn't we think God would put his treasure in impressive men and gifted women and charismatic leaders and bold and courageous Christians? And yet God doesn't do any of that. He surprises the world when he places the treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels, in clay pots that are prone to break and crack. And he chooses to put the gospel in people like you and me. Now, you need to understand what these jars of clay are. In his day, these were the most mundane storage pots. They were used for everyday household matters. Think of that drawer you have in your kitchen that's full of Tupperware. Some of it, you know, you bought. Some of it is uh, leftovers from when you ordered Chinese takeout. You tried to uh, erase that, you know, permanent marker that said number three on top of it. And, uh, you know, you just have it there. And so what do you do with that? You use it to store other leftover food. You send it away when you're packing food for other people. Why? Because this jar of clay is discardable. It's common. It's ordinary. It's replaceable. Paul says, that's what I'm like. I'm a jar of clay. I'm a jug of mud. I'm fragile and weak. I'm unimpressive and discardable. Now, when Paul says this, he doesn't say it so that the friends around him would try to encourage him and say, Paul, I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to say three good things you like about yourself. That's not why Paul's saying this. He's not suffering from low self-esteem. Paul, in fact, has complete self-awareness. He's under no delusion. You know, the whole premise of Corinthians is that some people in the church have hurled accusations at Paul, and they started calling him all kinds of things and trying to discredit his ministry. And Paul, at one point, he actually kind of like agrees with some of it because outwardly it is true. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10, Paul admits to these things. He, he says, I'm not physically impressive, right? He says that my bodily presence is weak. He says, I'm not eloquent in my speech with all this grand rhetorical ability. My speech is of no account. On top of that, of course, you know, Paul um, was a sent a messenger, authorized, ordained messenger of God. And yet the way he lived his life, I mean, he was incredibly um, uh, subject to all kinds of hardship and suffering. And he was beaten and stoned and he was whipped and he was shipwrecked and all these kinds of things. And, and Paul's basically saying, yeah, all these things are true about me. And you guys are leveling these charges at me. I want you to know one thing. It's true. All of it. I am a jar of clay. And what's amazing is that Paul is able to own up to it. He owns up and embraces his weakness. He doesn't hide it away. He doesn't cover it up. He's not ashamed of it. He doesn't pretend to be something else. He doesn't present himself as a stone, uh, strong stone jar, but as a weak clay jar. The question is, how, how can you and I learn to do the same? How can you and I 
finally get to the point where we give up the pursuit of always trying to look strong and able and capable and, and like our lives are put together in front of others. Like how can we finally get to the point where we give up our pretending, we give up our pretense and we're finally able to admit and accept, embrace and live out of our weakness? How can we get to that point like Apostle Paul? You know, the secret is what Apostle Paul discovered, which is the purpose of God with the jars of clay. Let's go back to verse seven where Paul says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay for what purpose? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul was able to accept that he was insignificant and unimpressive because he knows God chooses not to use the strong and the self-reliant. God chooses to use what is weak in order to show forth his power. Now that Greek word here for surpassing power, the word surpassing is the Greek word hyperbole. Does that sound familiar? Hyperbole. Hyperbole. God is showing forth his hyperbole power. His power that's so great, it seems like he's exaggerated. His power that's so great that it's overwhelming. God chooses to show his power, his surpassing power, not to supplement the power that you produce, but to cover up all of the weaknesses that you bring forth. God is not powerful because he stands on your strong, broad shoulders on all of your accomplishments and victories and triumphs and stand on top of you and say, well, don't I look good? No, God has a surpassing power that surpasses your limitations and your weaknesses and your insufficiencies to show that despite whatever weakness you bring to him, his power is great and it is greater. God delights in your weakness. He doesn't despise it because through you, he'll make his power known in such a way where you can't take any credit for it. And this only begins to make sense when we come to recognize and accept the reality that we are nothing but an earthen vessel in a jar of clay. Hmm. Oh, what it would be like to drop all the pretenses and all the pretending because we are so driven by a desire that the spotlight always falls on God. Oh, what would that be like? Now, I heard one pastor use this illustration where he said, uh, imagine I have a plastic bag, right? A discardable plastic bag. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, one of those bags. And in that plastic bag, I have a $1,000 bottle of champagne. And I presented that before you. None of you would pay attention to the bag. You would pay attention to the bottle. Because the bottle is greater than the bag. None of you would look at the bag because you would be too busy looking what's in the bag. And then he says, well, what if on this side, I pulled out that same bottle of champagne, a $1,000 bottle of champagne, and then I put it in a Louis Vuitton bag. All of a sudden you'd say, what, what bottle are you talking about? Because your focus would be off the bottle and on the back. And Paul is saying, the focus should always be on God and his surpassing power. Always on the bottle, never the back. And so what God chooses to do is use the weak so that the focus comes to himself. Dear friends, are you okay accepting the fact that you are the discardable bag and not the designer bag? question is, are you okay with that? Now think for a second about what this says about God. Like, I don't know, you came in here, you have conceptions about God, you've thought about God, you, you have an idea of who he's like, but does your view of God take into this fact that God isn't turned off by your weaknesses? 
that God isn't repelled by all that you lack, that God doesn't look out over there to see what else is available before he finally agrees to settle for you. You know, I think one of the great sins we have is that we forget we're made in God's image and we constantly try to make God in our image, which means however we view others and we view ourselves is how we imagine God views others and views ourselves. And so you look inward at yourself and you don't think you're so great. You look at um, the mess of your life and you think, well, God surely is disappointed in me because I'm disappointed in me. You look at your life and you see how unimpressive you are and you say, well, God would surely move on because I know I would move on. And you think that God evaluates you and that he's going to find you sorely lacking and make a hard pass because you know you would do that about yourself. And yet you must understand God's not made in your image. He doesn't think and evaluate the way you think and evaluate. That the weakness you so despise is the weakness he delights to use so that his power might be made perfect through you. Now, what would happen if Christians really understood this? How would the sharing done amongst believers, the vulnerability, the honesty, the transparency, how would that be different if we all came together and knew we were a jar of clay? I mean, that would create such a humility amongst the people of God, a compellingly different kind. Imagine the ways in which all of our defensiveness would go away. Because somebody comes along and says, oh, look, that person has, has a chip on them. And you say, well, only one? Because you recognize you're a jar of clay. Imagine the kinds of prayer requests that would be shared. Imagine the kind of safety there would be in this kind of community. Because nobody's walking around charading as a strong stone jar everybody knows that they are a weak, feeble jar of clay. Because if we really understood this, that we are a jar of clay because God gets the glory, it would transform who we are and what we'd be like. You see, here's what you need to recognize. Your weakness does not make the gospel weak. Your weakness does not make God weak. In fact, Paul goes on to illustrate this to say, I was an incredible weakness, but my weakness does not make God weak. In my weakness, God was strong. He says this in verses 8 and 9. Read it with me. He says, we are afflicted in every way. That's his weakness. But we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul's saying, every time that I was on the brink of being shattered and smashed into pieces, God somehow protected and preserved me. And how is it that this brittle vessel, this jar of clay was able to withstand all that life threw at him? It wasn't because of inner fortitude, and the strength of his resolve and resiliency, he was able to withstand all that life threw at him because God's surpassing power turned out to be his sustaining power. You know, there's going to be times in your life where you will feel like you're going to be smashed a million pieces, shattered all over the ground. You will feel the limitations of your own self. Be confronted with a reminder that I'm nothing but an ordinary clay jar. And in those moments, the question is, how will you know that it's okay to be weak because your God is strong and that he will not use his strength to smash you, but he'll use it to preserve you? 
The only way you'll have that kind of confidence and ability to confess your weakness is through the gospel. Because in the gospel, we hear the news that a clay jar can be afflicted, but never crushed. Because Christ Jesus was crushed in your place as he took on the burden of your sin and guilt. A clay jar will be perplexed, but never driven to despair. For Christ Jesus was driven to despair in that garden as he took on the cup of God's wrath and put his father's will above his own. A clay jar will be persecuted, but never forsaken. Because Christ Jesus hung on a cross and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A clay jar will be struck down, but never destroyed. Because Christ Jesus received the blows on his bodies until the nails pierced his hands and his feet, his body broken and laid into a tomb. The gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for you, coming into the world, living his life in the fullness of human weakness, this alone promises you that God's power and his strength will always be worked for you and never against you. Jesus himself came and he walked the path of human weakness until the very end. Crushed, despairing, perplexed, forsaken, destroyed. Why? So that all united to him walking that same path of weakness might never taste that bitter end. And the gospel shows us that in his death, we find life in his strength. It's okay to be weak. That we're a jar of clay because his power is made manifest through us. And as I begin to close, let me close with this thought. When you know that you have the saving power of the gospel in you, it's okay to admit and confess you're weak. Not only is it okay to admit and confess that, you no longer need to despise and be ashamed of the weakest parts about you. God delights to put his gospel in people who are full of cracks and chipped edges and who are fractured and have shards missing from them. You know, we're ashamed of our weaknesses. Whatever those weaknesses are, some of those weaknesses are things about us that we contribute. Some of those weaknesses we carry in us because of things done against us. But despite however that weakness came to enter your life, God can redeem those for his purposes. The very things that you look down upon yourself for, God can prop up and use to display his strength. Consider it like this. Imagine with me for a second that you are as strong and capable, put together and perfect as you wish you were. Right? All the, the vision that you have of yourself, imagine that that was actualized. And so instead of being a cracked jar, Let's say you were completely flawless in every way. You were glamorous. You were admirable. You were the desire of every other eye. Everybody else wanted to be just like you. Perfect. Without blemish. If God put the light of the gospel in you, from where would his light burst forth and shine? If God put his gospel treasure in you, and you were perfect in every way, would not your own strength smother and cover the light from going out? Nobody would see it. Nobody but you. But if you're broken and chipped in the way that God actually desires and delights to use those who are broken and chipped, 
when he places the gospel light in you, it's through your weaknesses. It's through the cracks. It's through the missing pieces in you that his light begins to shine out. It's through the very cracks that you wish weren't ever there. It's through those cracks God makes his saving power known. It's because of those little fractures, the ones that you're so ashamed of and you try to cover. It's through them that God's gospel is seen and sensed by others as they see its light shining out of you and feel its warmth coming from you. See, all the weaknesses about yourself that you despise, the thing is, dear friends, God delights to use them in order to shine his gospel out into the world. You are a jar of clay. You are a jug of mud. But God does his best work with what you think doesn't work. And in that way, he gets the glory. And so go out, dear friends, as an earthen vessel entrusted with God's gospel treasure. Let his light shine through you. Make your surpassing power known to the world so that through your life, others might see the glory of the gospel of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.